Okay, so we're going to be reading from uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through to 11, verse 13. So if you picked up one of those blue Bibles, we'll be starting on page 1041. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Instead... Or, if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Uh, Thanks, Kat. Uh, I'll just take a moment get myself uh, sorted here. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open. That'll be uh, helpful to you as we move through uh, the passage together. Uh, Let me just pray uh, to begin our time. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word to us in the Bible. Uh, We just pray that your spirit would be with us now uh, to speak to us from your word, uh, help us understand it and help us apply it to our lives to become more like your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Good morning, everyone. So uh, in 1943, Abraham's... uh, An American psychologist, Abraham Maslow, he published a paper titled A Theory of Human Motivation. So in this paper, Maslow proposed a theory which has become widely popular and it's known as Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. So Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs can be depicted graphically as a pyramid, which you can see now on the screen behind me. So beginning at the base of the pyramid, there are five levels. Physiological, safety, love and belonging, esteem and self-actualization and they are arranged in this order from bottom to top to describe the pattern that human motivations generally move through so the fundamental argument of the theory 
is that in order for motivation to occur at the higher levels, each lower level of the hierarchy of needs must more or less be satisfied. So, for example, for motivation will only occur in a person to fulfill all their love and their belonging needs if their immediate safety and their immediate physiological needs are more or less satisfied. So without diving too deep into the theory, I'm sure that you can agree that this theory has some merit to it. In contrast, though, the reading from the Bible today presented us with a totally different hierarchy of needs. Jesus's hierarchy of needs. These two stories that we have read, the story of Jesus at the home of Martha and Mary, and Jesus teaching on prayer, may not appear related upon first glance. But together, these two stories show us that unlike the five-tiered pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Jesus's hierarchy of needs has just one level. And that's the big idea for the talk today, that for followers of Jesus, just one thing is needed. So let's quickly recap what has taken place in recent weeks so that we understand today's reading in its proper context. So we started our series at Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem and the mission which he is going to accomplish there. As his journey begins, we've seen that Jesus asks a lot from those who follow him and that for his followers, it's about both knowing and doing as was demonstrated to us last week with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus and his followers, they've resolutely set their faces towards Jerusalem. And now, in the final verses of chapter 10, they come to a nondescript village at a home opened up by two women, Martha and Mary. Now, Martha and Mary, they have not previously been mentioned in Luke's book, but we know a lot about them from John's book. So in John chapter 11 we're told that they live in Bethany, which is a small town just outside of Jerusalem, and that they have a brother, Lazarus. And it's in this chapter in John that it becomes immediately apparent that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they hold a special place in Jesus' heart. So I've put both verse 5 and also verses 33 to 35 from John 11 on the screen to demonstrate the love that Jesus has for them, as well as the grief that he felt at Lazarus's death and at the sight of his sisters weeping for him. So hopefully that provides you with an understanding of the context which today's reading is within, as well as an understanding of the people that are mentioned. So let's reread the last few verses of chapter 10. Let's start at verse 38. So as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset by many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The big idea that I want you to take home from this passage is that just one thing is needed, to sit at the feet of Jesus. I'll repeat that. 
Just one thing is needed, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Look with me at verse 42. There it says, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And you might call this passage the tale of two sisters. So on one hand, there's Martha. Jesus and his disciples, they've entered her home. And as we saw from the John 11 passage, not only is he a distinguished guest in her home, but he's also a dear, cherished friend. And Martha wants to do the right thing by her friend. It is of great social and cultural importance that she be a good host and show them proper hospitality. Being a good host is her number one priority. And then on the other hand, there's Mary. She's not running around the house like her sister is, you're frantic with all the preparations that have to be made when there are guests in your home. No. Instead, as it says in verse 39, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he is saying. This term, you know, sitting at the feet, is not precisely literal, you know, it may be, but it's more of a metaphorical term to describe the relationship between a student and a teacher. The student would sit at the feet of the teacher. And in the culture, this was a controversial place for a woman to be, let alone a woman who is a member of that household who is hosting you know, important guests. This is a bold choice that, Mar- uh, that Mary has made. So we have the tale of two sisters. The busy-bodied Martha, her first priority is to do the right thing and be a hospitable host. And then Mary, her first priority is sitting at the feet of Jesus. So who is doing the right thing? Well, Martha knows, of course she is. So she goes to Jesus to get him to set her wayward sister straight. Tell her to help me, she exclaims. And instead of her sister getting the scolding that she was hoping for, in verse 41, we see Jesus' response to Martha. He starts by repeating her name, Martha, Martha. The repetition of her name denotes intimacy and gentleness. And he continues, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. Jesus knows that time is of the essence. He's resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem and the mission that he's going to accomplish there. And so in this period of urgency, he explains that the regular domestic duties are not the number one priority. What is far more important, the one thing that is needed, is to take the opportunity to come and to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. Let me illustrate this point. So growing up, we had the regular plates that we would use you know, for day-to-day use. And then in a different cupboard, there'd be some nicer, fancier plates we might get out if we had some guests over for dinner. Yeah, and then further back in that cupboard, maybe still in the box or in some wrapping paper, are some even nicer, you know, fancier plates that we would never, ever use. You know, being the inquisitive young man that I was, you'd ask mum, mum, why do we never, ever use these fancy plates? You know, she'd respond, well, they're for when the queen comes over for tea. Okay. I'm sure that's a, you know, a scenario you know, or a, a catchphrase that's familiar in many a household. Now, 
Imagine if the Queen actually did come over for tea unexpectedly. There would be a mad rush of jobs to do. You know, get the special plates out of the cupboard, wipe off the dust, give them a wash, do a quick sweep of the floors, make sure that the tea and the scones are stocked up. And then in the following days, you know, friends, family, neighbours, they've heard that the Queen has unexpectedly dropped around to your house for tea. And of course they want to hear all about it. Did you ask the Queen, did you ask her, what's it like to live in Buckingham Palace? Or what I want to know, really, what are all the corgis' names? Which one's her favourite? Actually, no, this is what I really want to know. Did you ask her, what's it like to have your face on money? In response to all these questions, it's actually, actually, no, I, I didn't ask her any of that. In fact, you know, I barely spoke to her. I was too busy getting out the special plates, washing them, sweeping the floors. You know, to have the Queen over for tea and barely speak to her because you were too busy doing chores, what a tragedy that would be. That's Jesus' point to Martha. To have him and his disciples in your house and not listen to him because you're too busy doing chores, what a tragedy that would be. Just one thing is needed. And Mary has made the wise choice by placing herself at the feet of Jesus. So in this tale of two sisters, which sister do you identify with the most? Are you like Martha? Are you spending all your time and all your energy trying to meet your responsibilities? You know, your responsibilities at home, your responsibilities at work, your responsibilities to your family and to your friends, your responsibilities here at church... You know, the list of your responsibilities goes on and on. And so many of us have that long list of responsibilities. And we'll be negligent of us to ignore them and to disregard those responsibilities. You know, after all, lots of our responsibilities are actually good, noble things that should rightly warrant our attention and our energy. Just like Martha seeking to be a hospitable host. So if you're feeling like you identify with Martha... I want to encourage you today. Did you notice that Jesus didn't tell her that she had made the wrong choice? Being a hospitable and a generous host, seeking to fulfill her responsibilities, well, there was actually nothing wrong with that. She just had her priorities in the wrong order. When the urgency and the priority of the kingdom of God is properly considered, that's when we see that actually just one thing is needed. So I want to encourage you, you whether you have never, ever done it before or you've been doing it for a long time, come, sit at the feet of Jesus, listen to his teaching. You know, we can't physically come and sit at his feet, but we have his teaching recorded for us here in the Bible. So make it a priority. Spend time reading the Bible individually, with someone else in a small group, in a large group, such as we're doing here today. And make that time and that priority to read, to discover, and to listen to Jesus' teaching. Because as we've seen here in Luke, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Right here and right now is the time to make seeking the kingdom of God the priority of our lives. There is no hierarchy of needs, as Maslow suggested. No, instead... Just one thing is needed. So the tale of two sisters 
It's shown us that just one thing is needed, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, the next part of our reading, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 13, it then provides us with an example of what it looks like to come and to sit at the feet of Jesus. It provides us with an example of that one thing in action. And that one thing in action, that's my second point for those who are following along in the outline. So look with me at chapter 11, verse 1. There it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Isn't it fantastic how the Bible is being put together? Immediately following the lesson from Jesus about the importance of coming and sitting at his feet and learning from him, here we have an example of one of the disciples coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus and asking, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus graciously obliges his disciples' request with this great teaching on prayer. After all, we all need to be taught about prayer, don't we? Prayer is not something that comes naturally to us. Is it? We have many questions about how it is that we should pray. What is the proper and respectful way to address God? What should be our priorities in our prayers? What kinds of things are appropriate to request of God in prayer? How often should we pray? At what time of day? Our questions go on and on. The disciples, they had these same questions and they didn't have the answers. But they knew who did. They took the opportunity to come and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And what a great joy it is that this all-important lesson is recorded here for us today. And there are many lessons that can be extracted from Jesus' teaching on prayer here. Far more than I have time for today. But from this lesson at the feet of Jesus, I'm going to spend time elaborating on three teachings so number one the person to whom we pray number two the priority of our prayers and three the persistence required in prayer so let's start with teaching number one the person to whom we pray jesus begins his lesson on prayer by teaching his followers to address god as father You know, the grand magnitude of addressing God as Father is probably lost on us in our current time. You know, after all, we sang a song earlier called Good, Good Father. But this teaching from Jesus was truly revolutionary. In all of the prayers, in all of the Psalms, and all the other Old Testament writings, not once is God addressed as Father. But here, Jesus teaches his disciples that they can approach the Lord of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, with such boldness, yet such intimacy, to address him as Father. It's truly revolutionary. And God is a good Father. Verses 11 to 13, they provided the illustration for this. Jesus points out that earthly fathers, generally speaking, seek after the good of their children, and delight to provide for them and to give them good gifts. And if earthly fathers, even though they are evil, as it says in verse 13, know how to give good gifts, how much more will the heavenly father delight to give you good gifts too? 
And not just any old good gifts, like a fish or an egg, the examples that are used in the text. No. Instead, our Heavenly Father delights in giving us the good gift of the Holy Spirit. A Heavenly Father who delights in pouring out the good gift of the Holy Spirit upon His children. That's the person to whom we pray. That's lesson one on prayer from the feet of Jesus. Lesson two from the feet of Jesus on prayer is the priority of our prayers. The order and the nature of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, they teach us about the priorities of our prayers and indeed the priorities of our lives. You know, after beginning with this radical teaching that we can address God with the bold yet intimate term of Father, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer reminds us of the grandeur of our Father you know, the rightful place of our Father. His name is to be hallowed, as revered, honoured, respected, adored, praised, worshipped. After all, as his children, isn't this how we want our Father's name to be treated? Hallowed be your name. This rightfully takes the place of first priority in Jesus' teaching on prayer. And then the next petition... Therefore, the next priority in the prayer is your kingdom come. Remember, remember that in the previous chapter of Luke, Jesus sends out the 72 to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. And in doing this, Jesus is reminding both those in the first century, but also us now in the 21st century, that this world is not a democracy. It's a kingdom. And there are those that live under the authority of the king, And there are those that live in rebellion against the king. And this petition and its place of priority within the prayer teaches us that it should be our desire and our delight should be to see the reign of God recognized, embraced and obeyed on this planet, just as it is in heaven. So these first two petitions of the prayer teach us that only after having intimately addressed God as Father, yet still rightfully recognise his place as King over heaven and earth, worthy of all honour, respect, adoration and praise, can we now turn our attention to ourselves. I hope that's not lost on you, so let me repeat that. These first two petitions of the prayer teach us that only after having intimately addressed God as Father, yet still rightfully recognised his place as king over heaven and earth, worthy of all honour, respect, adoration and praise, can we now turn our attention to ourselves. This is such an important lesson on priorities because our default position, if we're honest, is to have our attention focused on ourselves. You're to come to God in prayer with our shopping list of needs. Because this is our default position, having our attention focused on ourselves. It's so tempting to only pay attention you know, to part of this lesson on prayer, you know, to get distracted, to take things out of context, to hear the things that we want to hear that will make our lives easier and make our lives better. You know, so take verses 9 and 10, for example. So let, let me read them once again. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives 
the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now it's very easy, isn't it, to look at these verses in isolation and conclude that God can kind of be treated like a magical genie, you know, who's there to give you whatever you ask for. You know, you want good grades at school or at uni? You want to be successful at that job interview? You want that promotion or that new house? Well, simply ask and it will be given to you. To come to that conclusion would be totally misunderstanding the lesson that Jesus is teaching here. Let me instead apply the lesson regarding the priority of our prayers and insert some petitions into the Lord from the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 and 10. Look once again on the screen. So I say to you, ask for forgiveness and it will be given to you. Seek after the kingdom of God and you will find. Knock and the Father's door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks for forgiveness receives. The one who seeks the kingdom of God finds. And the one who knocks, the Father's door will be opened. So lesson two on prayer from the feet of Jesus is about the rightful order and priority of our prayers. We need this lesson to help us turn away from our default position of focusing on our own needs and wants. Instead, we are to remember God's hallowed place as king of heaven and earth and ensure that his priorities become our priorities. And the third lesson from the feet of Jesus regarding prayer is the persistence required in prayer. As I said earlier, prayer is not something that comes naturally, is it? You know, we, we need to be persistent with prayer. You know, in verses 5 to 8, Jesus provides the illustration of a persistent friend who knocks on his neighbor's door in the middle of the night. He says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. You know, the man inside is initially resistant and unhelpful. It's the middle of the night after all. But the man outside does not give up. He is persistent and eventually the man inside gets up and gives his neighbor what he is asking for. In our prayers, we are to show the persistence of the man outside. So think of it like this. Last week, we had the great pleasure witnessing little Sophie Mayhew be baptized. Now, little Sophie, she can't walk just yet. But that isn't too far away. But she won't be able to walk the first time that she tries, will she? She'll fall down. But that's okay. She's resistant. She'll get back up again. And she'll try again. But she'll fall down again. And again, and in fact, she'll fall over many, many times. But with great endurance and persistence, you know, over time, she'll overcome those many times that she falls down, and she'll learn to walk, and she'll learn to run, and to jump. You know, her persistence will pay off. You know, when it comes to prayer, we need to show that same persistence and endurance to overcome the times when we fall down. To be honest, a child learning to walk probably shows far more resilience and persistence than any of us adults do when challenges come our way. We need to find that childlike endurance again. Now, I know that prayer doesn't come naturally. I know that theoretically, 
But I also know it personally. Persistence in prayer is a lesson that I too need to take to heart today. As with many things in life that require persistence, such as studying, exercising, dieting, relationships, having a plan or having a routine could be a helpful way to maintain and to endure. Now, I can't be up here and recommend one plan or one routine that will work well for everybody, but consider what you need to help you be persistent. Do you need to schedule a time of day to make sure that it happens? Do you need a list of prayer points to help guide your prayers? How about meeting up and praying with another person? Will that make it easier for you to keep on schedule and to keep accountable? Even now in our modern age, there are apps for prayer, such as PrayerMate, to help you have a plan for prayer. And of course, there are many, many books on the topic of prayer with helpful guides and plans. And obviously, you can always return to the feet of Jesus and this lesson here on prayer in Luke chapter 11. So there are a few options. Some may be helpful for you. Or maybe something totally different will work for you. But whatever it is, I want to encourage you to come up with a plan that works for you and be persistent with it. And just as I know that prayer doesn't come naturally, Jesus knew that too. That's why he graciously taught his disciples how to pray. That's why it's recorded here in the Bible. So that just as the disciples did, so too we might come and sit at the feet of Jesus and ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's the big idea from today. It would be so easy to leave here and return to the busyness of our lives, for each of us to go back to our homes and our workplaces, and just as Martha was, be distracted with all the good, noble responsibilities that can demand our time and our energy. And we know that when that happens, our focus can turn inwards to ourselves and our endurance and our persistence can fall away. But I implore you today, as you go out this week, don't fall into that trap. Make it a priority to once again come and sit at the feet of Jesus because just one thing is needed. Now the band's going to come up and we're going to sing together in response to this. Because, and we're going to acknowledge that there is no other name that is worthy of such a response. So please stand and join us in singing No Other Name.